Good morning, Chapel Street. How are you? We've got, we've got to move to the back. Do you want to be, nobody wants to be in the splash zone this morning? No? Hey, it's good to see you. Always good to gather together as God's people to praise Him. If you're new, I saw a few new faces coming in this morning. I'm really psyched that you're here. My name is Pastor Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here. I would love a chance to get to know you and meet you. Don't ever feel hesitant about coming up and introducing yourself. I love to meet new guests. We also have a gift for you at our welcome desk. So if you'd like to learn a little bit more about who we are or anything like that, you can always stop by that welcome desk. It has all the information on things happening and ways to connect. Wanted to make sure as well this morning that I give you a couple of those ways to connect because uh, it's always easiest to hear it here in the service. So the first one I want to make sure you know about is our annual meeting coming up in September. Uh, this is like the exciting moment of the entire year, the business meeting for the church. It's like everybody writes this down, right? You've got this marked already. I don't need to tell you about it. But I love doing this because it's our moment as a whole church family, all four campuses, to celebrate what God has done. Uh, because God has done a lot of different things over this last year, and there are stories after story after story of ways that God has met with people, blessed people, encouraged them. So if you want to come along, you do not have to be a member to attend. Uh, to, to vote, you do have to be a member. And if you're interested in learning more about that, we do have a class today at our Castlinger campus at 11.45. Uh, but you can come along anyway and just hear about what God's doing. One of the things I really treasure about this church is uh, that our leadership loves to be transparent and share everything that's going on. Uh, and so it is a really great chance just to hear about uh, what's happened and what we're looking forward towards as well. So that's gonna be September 10th is our annual meeting. Make sure to mark that down. Uh, and then something similar to that that's happening this week here at our campus is that this Friday on August 25th, we're gonna be hosting Vision Night, where similar kind of fashion, we're gonna be looking at the last two years of ministry as we come up on our two-year anniversary, which, first of all, it, it kind of astounds me that we're at two years already. It, just, it feels like that has flown by. Uh, and I remember at the end of our first year of ministry, kind of looking back and seeing the things that God's doing, and I'm so thrilled that to look back this year that God has done even more than he did that first year. So I just want to invite you to come and be a part of celebrating that. And if you consider Chapel Street North Aurora your home church, your home campus, I want you to be here for more than just hearing the stories. I want you to be here because this church is built upon your ministry, not mine. It's upon the ministry of, of us as a body together, of the ways that you serve, the way that you give. Uh, and so we not only need to celebrate together, but we need to look forward together. And so that's what we'll do. We'll look forward to what's coming. Uh, there'll be chances to uh, jump in on different ministries and learn about some different ministries. But again, we, we're going to be providing food for this. We're providing childcare. We don't want there to be a reason that holds you back from coming because we love you. We would love to see you there. So make sure to join us this uh, Friday. If you haven't done so, if you could register for me for this event, just so that we know how many people to expect for food, uh, that would be a huge blessing. And you can do that on our website, uh, or you can do it using the QR code on the back of the seats, if you are comfortable with that. Or you can do it the old-fashioned way and just stop by the welcome desk. Any of those work. Uh, but now I just want to invite you to stand with me as we head into worship. This is the introvert's delight part of the service. I'm going to ask you to turn to someone next to you, say good morning, and welcome into God's house, and we'll sing together. Well, I want to keep us in a, just a posture of worship now as we celebrate. One of the things that is a part of worship is that we recall to mind the great deeds of the Lord, the things that He has done for us. Psalm 103, one of my favorite passages of scriptures, reminds us to forget not all His benefits. 
and the incredible things he's done for us. So I, I just want to take a moment at the close of kind of our financial year as a church to highlight some of the ways in which God has moved in our midst. Because there is, is a list, and if you'll see the board in, a, in our lobby, the reason that's up there right now is I want to try and help you see the multitude of stories that are out there that are sometimes difficult to, to hear about or catch the drift of them. But over this last year, we have seen a youth group start with neighborhood kids. There's over 20 kids coming to that now on Sunday nights. We feed them every week. We get to share gospel stories with them. We're looking to go on our first retreat with them this October. We uh, launched uh, a VBS here this summer where we had uh, nearly 100 kids come. And at the end of that week, we had a family party. There was over 200 people from the neighborhood came in to hear the story of Jesus that week. We're going to be launching a first through sixth grade program for kids here in October because of the work that was done there and the connections we made with families from across the street at the school. In our first year of ministry, we had no baptisms. This year, we've had over 10 in the first six months of the year. Those are stories of how God is genuinely coming into people's lives and transforming them. We've had people come to know Christ for the first time. We've had new small groups start getting people connected to church for the first time after decades. People are being renewed in, the faith, in their faith and in the knowledge of God's grace for them. And we always say as a church, we want to be a place where people can experience grace and grow in their faith. And that's happening here in our midst. That God is enabling us to make an impact where we are. This uh, Somehow we did a Save the Well project where together we wanted to raise $150,000 for Cure International to start a hospital in Zambia. Together as a church family, we raised over $200,000 for that. The pre previous Christmas, we set a goal for ourselves to raise $500,000 to help start Hope School in a war-torn African country with two of our partners over there. We raised far in excess of that $500,000. I think that it it requires us to take a moment of pause and reflect on the goodness of God, that this small church here in North Aurora has been a part of the ministry of God in the world, not just in our own neighborhood. And that's thanks to your generosity. Generosity is so important to what we do here as a church. And if you have not jumped in on that journey, I wanna encourage you, now is a great time to consider how God might be calling you to generosity because all of the things that I've mentioned wouldn't be possible if we as a body didn't come together and give to the mission of God. It's a beautiful thing seeing what he's done. There's three reasons I just wanna highlight before we pray and celebrate what God's done, why generosity is so important to us. The first is because it is our opportunity to invest in the work of God in our community. I've been so thrilled to know that from the moment we opened our doors, saying that we want to be a church, not primarily for ourselves, but for our neighbors, that we've had an opportunity to serve the school, the care home, and our immediate neighbors in real tangible ways. To the point where now even the school actually invites us to come to their events because they've been so encouraged and blessed by us. That's a beautiful testimony. And it happens because we have made a decision to invest in the work that God is doing in our community. Second reason is it frees us from smallness of heart. It frees us from small of heart to be generous. It reminds us of God's goodness towards us. It, we, we let go of the things that we get stuck in and we remind ourselves of the God who's given to us. Remember, the, probably, probably the most famous verse in the world is, for God so loved the world that he gave. And that's the third reason why generosity is so important is because when we do it, we are giving the world a real picture of the God who's loved us. Because when we give, we can tell the world about the one who gave first to us. 
And really, that's the most important thing here, is that we are here, we are gathered in this building, we celebrate, we sing, because of the God who alone has loved us and given to us, apart from anything that we have ever given to him. He has loved us by giving us his son. So I wanna just pray, I wanna celebrate, and I wanna renew in us this passion that we have for being a part of what God's doing, because God alone is the one who's gonna transform our community and our neighborhood. He's the one who makes the impact. So let's pray together and rejoice in him in the knowledge that he alone can do great things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us. Father, we, we say that every week we want to be a church that experiences your grace, that grows in our faith and makes an impact right where we are and that happens because of your great love towards us. Every song that we sing, every time we open up your word and read through its, its passages, Lord, we are reminded of your greatness, your goodness, your justice, your mercy. Father, renew that in us as we start a new ministry year. Renew in us a passion for your name and for your kingdom so that we could continue to be a church, not primarily for ourselves, but for our neighbors. Lord, we love you. Help us not to forget all your benefits. Amen. How fun for me to be here at North Aurora. It's almost two, is it, is it over two? No, not quite two years. Coming up. Coming up on two years since we launched this campus. That's amazing. So uh, it's a great, and uh, sometimes you need somebody from outside of you to, to reflect back on, on how well you're doing. Let me just tell you, you sing. I love to hear the voices. Sometimes at Kesslinger, I'm like, anybody singing? So I love, I love to hear you singing and worshiping God together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Thanks for the chance to be here. And also, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I love your pastor. And uh, I know you do too. So we're grateful for Andrew. Yeah. And, and I know that he loves you, all of you, so let's pray and ask God to speak to us. God, we're here. We've been singing about who you are, that you are holy and you're worthy, and we lift our voices and bow our lives before the authority of your word now. So speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my son, Noah, is, uh, we moved him to Houston. Uh, he finished law school, and so we moved him to Houston, Texas, which is, uh, you know, it's, he's like gone, gone now. He's not coming back. Like, school's over. He's really moved, which is a, it was a, a little bit traumatic, plus it's ridiculously hot there. You think it's going to be hot here, here this week? It's crazy. He works for a federal judge, and he finished the bar. He took the bar in Illinois, then in Texas, and he has to take it like an addendum in Texas for the Texas criminal justice system. There are extra things you have to know, and so we were talking about that. He was explaining things to me, and I was really lost. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about most of the time while I put together Ikea furniture in his new apartment in, in Houston. Uh, and I was thinking about that issue of justice, you know, he, he wants to work in the, in the litigation side, the criminal justice side and law, and he's passionate about that, interested in that. We're talking about justice, and when I was a kid, I thought of justice as the Justice League, you know, the Super Friends, or, or Superman, uh, whose motto, right, from the 19, like 1935 was, truth, justice, and the American way. It's been changed, did you know this, to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. Well, whatever. Anyway, so uh, justice, I thought of it as punishing bad guys, you know, making the, the, getting, the bad, the, getting the wrong ones and making them pay. Uh, of course, that's part of it. There's a punitive justice in the world and in the criminal justice system and in God. There is, a, there is justice that is meted out to those who do wrong, but that's not really the heart of justice from the Bible's perspective. Justice is a hotly debated topic today. Even the word, right, triggers some people. Like, my observation is this, and I'm going to be a little bit frank with you because I get to leave and Andrew can deal with it next week, right? So, <laughs> but, 
But um, like when you, when you use the word justice, some people on, on, the, on the socio-political left think, ah, oh, we're talking about the, the current social agenda in our culture today, social justice. Uh, people on the, on the right, on the political right think, oh, oh, you're talking about that, so I'm going to shut you down and not listen. But justice is God's idea. It flows out of his character, and we need to sort of set aside sort of our preconceived defenses and notions about what it means and hear afresh what God has to say about this issue. In fact, even the phrases social justice, racial justice, educational justice, economic justice, get us a little bit off track. What, is, what do those things mean? We're, we debate these things. There are those in our culture who talk about justice as in, in terms of righting past wrongs in our country and otherwise. There are others who talk about justice as not really, you can't go backwards, but creating a more just and equitable society going forward for all people. Certainly that's part of it. There are others who talk about justice more in terms of like removing institutions and systems that create injustice or oppression. There are still others who talk about it in terms of just the legal system. Honestly, it's so used frequently that I think the great theological movie, A Princess Bride, Remember the, remember the word inconceivable? When Enigo Montoya says, that word, you see it on the screen. You keep using that word. Justice, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? We use it so often that I think this can be applied there. The Oxford English Dictionary does, defines justice this way. The maintenance of what is just or right by the exercise of authority or power. Assignment of deserved reward or punishment. I think that definition is good as far as it goes. It just doesn't go far enough. Because look at the two words in the upper right-hand corner. The maintenance of what is just or right. Well, what is just or right? It begs the question. Who decides what's just or right? Who determines that? Is that what politicians do? Do senators do that? Do lawyers like my son get in a room and decide that? Do judges decide it? Is it just sort of the collective idea of the culture? How do we determine what is just or right? It sounds good. And all of us, I think, have an intuitive sense. How many of you use the phrase or at least thought it? That isn't right. You see something happening in the world. You see a child that's being abused or a family that's being torn apart or somebody homeless and you think, that's not right. That's unjust. It isn't fair. There's this sense in us that it's something ought to be done. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. C.S. Lewis, you knew he was going to make his way into the sermon. And so here he is in his classic work, Mere Christianity. He's describing his primary argument against the existence of God from when he was an atheist. And here's what he says from mere Christianity. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You hear what he's saying? My primary reason for rejecting God was that the world seemed, how can, you've probably thought this or know people that have said this, Right? I cannot believe in a God who would create a world with so much injustice and evil. And Lewis is saying what, he, what dawned on him was his argument against God was actually one of the best arguments for God. Because where did the standard come from by which he's objecting at all? If you and I are just the random collocation of atoms and the process of evolutionary mindless forces that had no prevision of the ends they were achieving, then where does the standard of right or wrong come from at all? It doesn't fit in the evolutionary system. Lewis is realizing that in his argument against God, God is revealing himself. The standard that he... Martin Luther King Jr. puts it this way in his letter from a Birmingham jail. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. 
So to the degree that our laws in this country or any nation or this state square with the code of God, the right, just standard of who God is and what he says, they're just. This brings us to the God of justice. It is impossible to know or do justice without wisdom. And as we've seen throughout this series, there is no wisdom apart from God. So we can make the statement, you want to know anything about justice at all, you begin with God. The knowledge of God in relationship to God. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You'll see it on the screen. But I'm going to read out of my actual Bible because that's fun. Proverbs 1, 1 through 3. So Solomon laying out the, the purpose for which he's written the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Right at the beginning, he says, these, these, these words of wisdom are given to you to instruct you and to teach you what is right, what is just, what is true. The whole purpose of the book is not so that you'd be de- seemed, seem wise to people around you, but so that you would know in your mind and in your heart what is true justice and righteousness in the world, flowing straight from the heart and character of God. Those words, you see them on the screen, righteousness and justice together there, those are companion words that are always paired together when they refer to the character of God, and frequently they go together in the Old Testament. There are two Hebrew words. The first one, righteousness, is the word tzedek, and the second one, justice, is the word mishpat. And there's lots of overlap. Scholars debate this. Andrew and I, we talked about this at our preaching team meeting. It's, uh, it's hard to parse out exactly the difference, but they're not synonyms. The best I can do is this, because I'll, I'll, uh, it's my simple understanding. Righteousness, Sedek, is the standard of what is right coming from the character of God. And Mishpat is the application of that standard in human interaction in the world. So there is a righteousness that flows from the character of God and a Mishpat doing that in the world. And these go together because they're both reflections of who God is. It's not like God's pulling the justice book off the shelf and going, let me see, uh, this is what you should do. It's him. He is the God of justice and righteousness his character and nature. Look at Proverbs chapter 2 with me, flipping there. Verses 6 through 9. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice. There it is again, Sedek and Mishpat, and equity in every good path. Lord gives wisdom and understanding so that we would not just know intellectually, but walk in this way, live this way. Justice is not an abstract concept. It's a way of life that we're called to live. So if you want to know anything about justice, you start with God. This is part of the problem in our culture. We start with justice itself, or we start with the racial history in our culture, or we start with the legal codes and how they've been misapplied. Or we go back in civilization and start with you know, other cu- cultures and their legal codes. If you want to know anything about justice, you don't start with how human beings have tried to understand it. You start with the character and nature of God. He informs how we think about race relations or rights of the unborn or policies at the border or whatever other justice issue you want to raise. This is the, the starting point that many of us get wrong in our culture today. 
If you want to know and understand what is right and what is just, you bring your mind and your heart on submission to the word of God and to his will. All other wisdom and knowledge is derivative. It's coming from somewhere. He's the source. God is just and perfectly righteous, and he always speaks and acts with justice. I think one of the challenges to bring about justice in our secular society is that it feels like it's a moving target, doesn't it? It feels like it shifts. Like we're told in one uh, recently, we've been wrong about this issue, whatever issue it is, for, for, for all of history, and now we have it right. But who's to say that isn't going to shift again in a decade? Anybody relate to this? It feels like what we're told we're supposed to believe about some issue is it's always moving. One of the great doctrines, do you like doctrine? You should like doctrine. You don't like the word. It's truths about who God is from Scripture is the immutability of God. Who knows what immutability means? Some of you, I know you know. I know Kevin knows. What does it mean? Unchanging. The unchanging character and nature of God. We change. We shift. We waver. We ebb and flow. We fail. God never does. And when it comes to his mercy and his love, we cling to that. Don't you want to know that God doesn't change when you come to him for forgiveness? That he isn't saying to you, well, Jeff, I forgave you 350 times, and this is the 351st, so that's it. No more, right? That he, that there's all, he's unchanging in his love and his grace and his mercy. But the same thing, the same doctrine applies to God's standard of righteousness and justice. You can't have one without the other. He is unchanging in who he is, and from that flows how we understand what is right what is just in the world. And we should cling to that and praise God for it in a world where the targets, it just feels like it's always moving. Because people are clinging. There's a good desire in our culture for justice. They just don't know how to get it. They want the fruit without the root. It's like they're trying to apply biblical principles without, without, the, without God's word and God himself. You can't reject and ignore the foundation from which justice flows and expect you're going to accomplish it in the world. This is why God cares so deeply that his people live in accordance with his character and word. In Proverbs 21, verse 3, he puts it like this. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, we don't have a sacrificial system, but you, you know what this means. This is doing your religious duty. Some of you have been grown up. How many of you have grown up going to church? Been in church all your life. Look, that's a lot of you. Those of you who didn't put your hand up, good for you. You're actually, you're actually ahead of the game. You might think you're behind in the whole church thing, but sometimes you can get so churchified, you, you miss what this is really about. I'm just doing my religious duty. God's pleased me because I showed up. Now, I'm a pastor. I know I speak for Andrew. It's good that you show up. Thank you. We want you to do that, right? That's a good thing for us, for you. But God cares way more about how we live in this world, the, the condition of our hearts, than he does about you checking the box. That it, it's more pleasing to him that you live with justice and righteousness in the world. And this is, this, this is a biblical theme throughout. Let me just read a few Old Testament references for you. It won't be on the screen, but you can jot them down. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor show deference to the rich. But in righteousness shall you treat your neighbor. Psalm 33, verses 4 through 5, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Isaiah 1.17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, take care of the orphans. 
Micah 6, 7, and 8. You'll know at least verse 8, I'm sure, if not the reference. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, how am I going to be made right before, how do I live right before God? Is it sacrifice and doing my religious duty? He has told you, O man and woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. In Psalm 106.3, Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. This brings us to the call of justice. Now, throughout Proverbs, wisdom is depicted as a voice calling to us. You might remember that. It's a voice over against the voice of foolishness, folly, sin, and temptation. There are two voices calling, right? And you, we've seen this, particularly in the Sermon on Wisdom and Temptation. Wisdom's voice calling and foolishness voice calling. And the whole question hanging over Proverbs is, well, whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice will you heed? And you know this as well as I do. There are voices. I don't mean you hear voices. Maybe you do. That's a separate issue. We have, but, but I mean, there are voices calling to us. We feel the pressure to think this way, to live this way, to believe these things. We're bombarded with different messages. Wisdom's call, we think of as sort of a, like the private inner voice. Like, it, like it's God's whispering to us. And he does do that. But I want you to pay attention to where wisdom calls. I'm going to read 20 verses out of chapter 8 because it's just so good. You can follow along with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel, I have sound wisdom, I have insight, I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. This is wisdom saying, find me, pursue me, listen to me. How many of you can remember where you were on September 11th, 2001? Some of you are young enough that you think of that way. I used to think about my dad talking about Pearl Harbor, right? It's, uh, it seems like a long time in the past, but many of us know exactly where we were. Do you remember the days following, immediately afterwards, how crazy it was? What happened? Who did this? Are we safe? Are we at war? Are we not at war? And remember President Bush was, I think, reading a book in a school in Oklahoma, wasn't that right? And he was going to give a le- a direct, uh, an address to the nation. Every house in the nation was glued to the TV. What's he going to say? Why? Because it didn't matter who you voted for at that point. You, we all wanted to hear a word from our leader, from our authorities, that, something that we could cling to. Are we okay? Is there hope? Are we secure? Do you remember what that felt like? 
We're, we're hanging on every word. Or uh, about a year ago, Dwight Link, who uh, passed away, is with Jesus now. He was suffering and, and, and body failing, and he was old, but he was convinced that God was going to allow all his grandchildren to surround his bedside in hospice care. I thought, that may not happen. They may not get here, but God did. And Dwight was sort of determined to make the nurses let them in. If you know Dwight, that makes sense. Anyway, it was a beautiful picture. Few of us get this gift, but I hope God will be so gracious to me. He's near death, all his grandchildren around his bed. I was there with him. And he went one by one and had a word for them about the love of God, about the wisdom of God. They were riveted. And they're all over the map in terms of where they, what they believe and where they are spiritually, but they were riveted. What is grandpa going to say with his last words to me? So that, that intensity, that feeling, right, of 9-11, we need, we need to hear. We need to hear a word. Or what, what is he going to say with his most important words? How often do we come to the word of God and feel like that? God, I need to hear from you. It's shifting sand out there. I get confused out there, and I'm, I desperately need to hear a word from you of comfort, of hope, of security, of righteousness and justice. This is what wisdom is calling and saying. Listen to me. Pursue me. Now, did you notice, can we go back a couple slides to the very first one of chapter 8, verses 1 through 20? There, there. Where does wisdom call? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, by the gates, in front of the town, the entrance. These are all references to public places. The heights are places of public worship. The crossroads is the place of exchange of goods and ideas in the marketplace. The gates are the place of where justice is meted out, where the king would meet with officials and there would be justice dispensed. The point here is wisdom's call is not privatized religion. We have so privatized our faith and our culture that we just... We miss this. You know, you believe that for you, that's fine for you. Keep that to yourself. Don't you dare force that on anybody else. That's your business. That's nothing about what Proverbs says. Wisdom is calling out, not privately in your own personal study, but on the heights, at the crossroads, in the marketplace, in the public arena, crying out to be listened to. It's meant for public consumption, not just private devotion. And this is crucial for us. We need to recover this. The point is, God's wisdom, which brings about God's justice, is for all people, for all to flourish, even those who don't believe in him. It's for us. Not just for you at church on Sunday or in your quote-unquote quiet time. And this is crucial for us to grasp. This wisdom is calling to us and needs to be heard Wisdom of God and the justice of God at the center of human life, in other words. The wisdom of God, which brings about the justice of God, is for the blessing of all people. This means there are no borders or boundaries around God's justice. And there are no people on this planet who are not ultimately accountable to it, whatever they may say. Notice in verses 15 and 16, he says, by me, kings reign. By me, princes govern justly. He's the source and the standard. And then look at verse 20, the last verse. If we go to the last one there, one more. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the paths of justice. This brings us to the way of justice. The wisdom of God leads to justice not as an abstract concept, or a theological idea that we debate and study, 
Nor does it just mean like in some future sense, well, of course, when Christ returns, he'll establish justice and righteousness in his kingdom, and then all, everything will be okay, and until then, we just sort of have to stumble through. No, it means it's a way that we live now in alignment with his character and nature. It's a way of living rightly and justly in the world. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's going to be an election coming up soon in our nation. Are you, do you know that? You aware? If you're not aware, you're going to be pretty soon. We're going to get bombarded with messages from all sides of every issue by people claiming that they know and this is the way and they're evil and, they're right and we're the right ones. And it's going to get nuts. Uh, and I shudder at it because I went, we went through one during COVID as a pastor that was not fun. So uh, praying we do better as God's people this time. And our nation does as well. But that aside, when it comes to, we think of justice as a political thing, you should pray for our nation. We must vote our conscience, our biblically informed conscience. We should advocate that God's justice be implemented in uh, policies that align with his will. So uh, this is a bit risky, but this is the last sermon. And again, I could just say it and Andrew can clean it up later. Like, <laughs> let's take a couple of the hot ones today. Uh, let's take abortion, the rights of the unborn. That's a great injustice. And, and you've got to lay aside your yabbats. Yabbat, yabbat, for a minute, lay that aside. It's a great injustice. It's an evil in our nation. We should care, about the, we should care deeply and, and feel the grief of God's heart over this. Here's the question, though. What's the best way to bring about an end to it? We could debate that. Political activism, protesting, coming alongside pregnant mothers who are fearful undoing the systems that would even get them in that place where they'd consider it. All of the above, right? We could debate what the best way is, but the justice issue is where's your heart on this? Or let's go to the other side, and I'll talk about an issue of immigration. What's the best policy for our, our nation's border security? I don't know. It's above my pay grade. I'm not informed enough. I don't understand these things. I don't know. Christians can have good, healthy, civil debates about what the, what the policy should be. That's not the justice question. The justice question is, how should you think about and see the foreigner, the sojourner, the alien in your midst? Where is your heart for those who are stateless, homeless, displaced, desperate? Oh, I know you've got your yeah buts. Yeah, but yeah, but what about those... What does the word of God say to us about that? That's the justice issue. That's where the rubber meets the road for us. So in all of our voting and advocating, and that's good, but we only have so much agency. You can only affect so much change that way. Here's what every one of us can do, and we should do, and must do. And this won't be on the screen, but you can remember it with the acronym MVP. Three tools Proverbs gives us to bring about justice through our own lives as much as we can. Remember, MVP, M, money, your money, your resources, which, by the way, aren't yours. They're given to you by God. What, 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 how are you using the resources God has blessed you with to help those who have less, to bring about justice, supporting ministries like International Justice Mission or Administer Justice or the Shepherd's Heart Ministries in our own church or Radical Love, which came and started out of uh, Chapel Street uh, Chapel Street attender who has a passion for immigrants, or our Serve the World partners, Cure, which Andrew referenced, those are justice issues. Okay, M, your money, your resources. V, your voice, your influence. Speaking up for those who are voiceless, who nobody listens to because they're treated as nothing in our world. And P, your power, your position. 
You might say, I don't, I don't have any position. You do. By virtue of living where you do in this part of the world, in this country, you have some position and some influence and some power. So individually and collectively, are we using our money, our voice, and our power as, we, as much as we can to defend the defenseless, to come alongside the oppressed, to support those who have nothing, to rescue, to find homes for, to support that's justice, far more than political policy, which will never perfectly align with God's wisdom. <laughs> we can do better and we must pray for it, but... Proverbs 28 verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So meaning, if you reject or ignore God, you're never going to get it. Even the best efforts to apply justice are borrowing Christian principles and words and terms. We want the fruit without the root. You can't have it. But those who seek the Lord, right? So, begin, so to find justice, you don't begin with justice. You begin with seeking the Lord, his kingdom, his righteousness. We understand it. We have a progressive and growing understanding. So the, we put it this way. The wisdom of God is meant to produce in the people of God the knowledge of and the deep desire for justice in the world. For, and, and to put it simply, justice, if you're still confused about what that is, that human lives and relationships would be lived in alignment with the character and nature of God. That we would live and treat one another as God intended. Proverbs 31, verses 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Your money, your voice, your power, and ours, collectively. I have a good friend named Danny Flores. Danny's pastor of a church in Elgin called Our Church. Not our, it's his, it's Lord's, not, not mine, but R, the letter R, which stands for three Spanish words, and I can only remember two of them. Restaurar and refrescar, but I can't remember the other one. <laughs> so anyway, the point is that he's reaching, uh, ex they meet at, at Elgin Academy. They don't have a, a, a church home yet a building, but they're reaching immigrant families, Latino families, up and down the Randall Road corridor faster than they can accommodate. It's amazing what, he's, what God is doing through him. I've gotten to know him. He's there at Converge Church. He's an amazing guy. You're going to get to hear his story in a couple of weeks, and we're going to partner with them by launching a Spanish service at, uh, Spanish church at our South Street campus called Capilla, which is Spanish for chapel. Every house a chapel on its street. Anyway, that's not even, that's just more extra. That's for free. So, <laughs> but Danny, Danny's getting an award uh, in October as the uh, King County Heroes Award uh, because of his work in, in the city of Elgin for, for, for addicts, homeless, orphans, kids off the street. Uh, th think about that. Our civic government, our county officials are recognizing a pastor and his church, which are unapologetically all about Jesus and the gospel. Because they call him a hero, give him a hero award. Why? Because he's doing justice, God's way, in the world. And it, it's noticed, making a difference. I'm excited to partner with and learn from Danny and the people of our church. Okay, last. From the biblical perspective, wisdom is not something you acquire mentally by study or even by life experience. It is relational knowledge. In relationship to God that we discover what justice and righteousness is. This brings us to the man of justice. Justice, like wisdom, is not an abstract concept. It's something we grow in understanding as we grow in our relationship with God. Proverbs 29, verse 26. 
puts it this way, many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. That's a word for our time. Many seek the face of a candidate, of a president, of a party official. Many seek this person will bring about what I want, what we need. Do you know that's not just an American problem in our current political situation? That's, that's the story of the misery of humanity. Amen. Putting our hope and trust in princes and kings and emperors and rulers. And you know, every four years, right? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's, it's just, it never, at best it's imperfect. And the longing of the human heart is that could there ever be one? Would there ever possibly be one who would come and do it right? And really, truly enact justice and righteousness in the world? Is that even possible? The message of the gospel is yes. Yes, it is. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We, we read this at Christmas time. We sing it in the Alleluia or in the, the Handel's Messiah, you know. This is so much more than a Christmas passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child... Let's read it together. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Next slide. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a, that's the promise. That's the hope, right? He's going to do this. Justice, Sedek. Mishpat, righteousness, Sedek, right? God's character on display in this one who will come. That's how we know God. And then if you'll flip to the New Testament with me, I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 3. Before it goes on the screen, how many of you know Romans 3.23? Oh, oh, I said before. Whoops. Now you know 323, right? <laughs> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not good news. It's not really even news, right? It's, but look at the next verse, 24. What does it say? And are justified by his grace as a gift freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let me read this to you in its entirety. I want you to pay attention to this in a new way. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short to the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift for the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. You ever wonder how Old Testament people are saved? Right there, on future credit, what God will do in Christ. And then look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be what? Just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, the, the injustice in, is not just out there in the world. Justice is a great thing as long as it's applied to somebody else, right? Get those evildoers. I want justice. Careful what you ask for. Because the justice starts in here. The injustice starts in here. My heart is corrupt. My heart is wicked and sinful. My heart needs to be set right. And I need to be made right. I need to be justified, and so do you. Who could do that? The one who is both just and justifier. That's the cross. 
God doesn't wink at sin and sweep it under the rug, pretend it didn't happen. He deals with it, and he has dealt with it, and he will deal with it at the cross. The just one takes on what you justly deserve so that you could be justified. This is the justice of God, the mercy of God meeting perfectly, and it's our hope. So when we talk about justice in the world, it begins with understanding my need for God's perfect justice and mercy through the one who is just and justifier. That's the entry point to relationship with him. That's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. That's the place from which you even get a glimpse of what is justice and righteousness in the world. Now, I don't know all of you here, and a lot of you, but not all of you. Do you know the one who is just and justifier? Do you know the injustice of your own heart and your need to be set right? That's what justified means, to be made right before God. Only one can do that. The man Jesus, the man of justice. Let's pray. God, we worship you and we thank you for this privilege of getting together and singing your praises and lifting our voices and praying out and calling out to you and hearing your word. And we recognize that our minds are feeble and small and we don't grasp all that there is to know in this world. But our hearts long for justice. And we see that longing in our world, but the people don't know where it comes from. Thank you that you've told us. There is no justice apart from you, Lord Jesus. You are the one who is just and justifier. We pray this in your name. Amen. As we close out, I just want to remind you that if there's any way we can serve you, what Jeff just said about us being a church that pursues the justice that is in Christ, that is in that man of justice, this is where we do it, in this place gathered together. If there's any way we can serve you, encourage you, support you, please let us know. Uh, as well, I would love for you to read those stories of what God has done, of the way that he's making us new, those stories of what he's doing over these last couple of years here at our campus, and consider joining us this week as well for our vision night. But now let me offer this benediction as we leave. May we go in the name of the man of justice, who is both just and justifier. May his grace redeem us, renew us, and send us out into this world for his name and his glory. Amen. <laughs>